0: 313814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the virtual Bible study.
1: And we welcome you into the virtual Bible study for Thursday, August 16th, 2012. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwyn. My father Greg Gwyn is away tonight in Michigan preaching there, and in his absence tonight Anthony Patracio joins me uh, in uh the normal host spot here. Anthony, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks. It's good to be here. It's been a while since I've been behind the desk, it seems.
1: Well, you know, you're here a lot uh, behind the controls, and you dressed a little bit differently tonight to uh, to be here in, in yeah. plain sight. Yeah,
2: I had to, you know, kind of look a Did little, a little better.
1: It couldn't know. be the scrubby technical. No producer guy
2: exactly
1: well and uh, anthony or uh, sorry brad uh, collins in athens alabama joins us via skype tonight uh, brad welcome to the program
3: jacob anthony glad to be here with you
1: glad to have you here uh, brad you listen regularly and you comment as well and now you get to uh, comment face to face and we're glad that you're with us on the program tonight the number to call to be a part of the program tonight is eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. email questions at collegeview.com and if you're listening to us live tonight Chat with other listeners to the right of your video window as simple instructions at the bottom of the chat window, and you can sign in without any personal information, and you can join in the discussion with listeners around the world. We're glad that you're here tonight, and we're looking forward to your comments as we continue a discussion from last week. Anthony and Brad, both I think you, Anthony, I think you listened live, and Brad, I think you were live as well last week uh, as we talked about uh, someone who really um, he's got sort of a vendetta against the Church of Christ, it seems like
2: yeah he seems to have an axe to grind somewhat here and um you know, he's got this website where where he's making various accusations and, and making some assumptions about um what what the, the church of christ stands for and i think as we saw last week several of those assumptions were just sort of flat you know just wrong right out of the gate so um but it definitely is a good good fodder for us to talk about and and you know helps us sharpen our skills to make sure we're ready to to give an answer to those who might raise objections like this. The
1: website we're talking about is chocd.org is the address you can check out uh, for that website. We'll warn you that there are quite a few misrepresentations on that website and those are the misrepresentations we want to talk about on our program tonight. Again the website is chcod no sorry chocd.org it's D-H-O-C-D We want to talk about several of those misrepresentations uh, Before we begin, Brad, just your overall thoughts on the tone of uh, this gentleman's website
3: Well, sarcastic, not, not really very charitable at all he, he, he could certainly tone it down quite a bit At least if he's intending to win any converts from, uh, from Churches of Christ
1: all right. He begins the website by asking the question: Is the Church of Christ denomination a cult? Again, we'll remind you, as we did last week, we're ignoring that uh, designation of a denomination. We don't believe that we are. we don't believe denominations are pleasing to God, and uh, we're striving just to be like the church that you read about in your Bible. And so he uses that term, somewhat uh, in derision, Anthony. But uh, we'll uh, we'll pass over that for now, just to know that uh, that uh, we're not accepting that term.
2: Right. I think it's important that we point that out to our listeners, for sure.
1: All right. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts. Uh, 877-381-4567. That line is toll-free, and the line is open tonight. The first thing we want to talk about is a holdover from last week, and we still have some responses uh, to that question from last week. And that is... Um, if the Church of Christ denomination is a, a duplicate of the original church, and they speak where the Bible speaks, and they are silent where the Bible is silent, then why don't they forbid, or why do they forbid to speak in tongues? First Corinthians 14 verse 13, 39 says, "Brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak in tongues." Now it seems that uh, Anthony that he may have up, uh, uh, you know, he may have one of those fail-safe arguments here. We say that we're doing everything the Bible says, and there's a pretty clear statement that says don't forbid to speak in tongues. Yet you come to a assembly, and our worship services do not have anyone speaking in tongues, and so you would appear, appear that someone's forbidding to speak in tongues. Anthony.
2: Right. I mean, I think uh, on the quick, if you read that quickly, you might you might be inclined to to agree with what he's saying. But of course, if, as soon as you peel back the layers, there, it's pretty clear that. Uh, that there's sort of some assumptions in that statement as far as really around the idea of forbidding. I think that's the big thing. Um, you know, if you come to an assembly, you know, you're not gonna not any assembly that I've ever been to has someone attempted to get up and and display his tongue speaking abilities and and has been told no. You know, we're forbidding you to do that. So you won't see that in any uh, Church of Christ assembly that I that I know of. So I think we have to be careful what what we mean by forbid. So, okay. right. but Brad, and of course we got to define speaking in tongues. All right. as well. Brad, your thoughts?
3: Well, if if I believed that somebody could genuinely speak in tongues with the char- the charismatic gift of the Spirit, I would not forbid them. That's right. But I, as I think that you dealt ably last week, uh, we think that First Corinthians 13. Couple that with uh, Acts 8, where the such gifts were only passed on from the apostles to other people. There's never any record or, or, or even an implication that such a gift could be passed on by anybody but, but an apostle. Of course, they are all dead. So we, we believe that those kind of gifts died out in the first century. So I, I just don't believe that there's anybody who can genuinely speak in tongues as they did in the first century.
1: All right. We would uh, cite First uh, Corinthians 13. Uh, Just earlier from 1 Corinthians 14 that he uh, cites, we would cite uh, 1 Corinthians 13 to show that those gifts have ended. He goes on in his uh, claims. He says, if you claim to be the church like uh, the Bible and you speak where the Bible speaks and you're silent where the Bible is silent, when someone is sick in your congregation, do the elders come over and anoint the sick with oil and pray for healing? James 5.14 says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Well, I've been sick in the past. Anthony, you have been as well, and I'm sure you have as well. Brad, and uh, any have you gotten an oil bath?
2: No, I haven't. I I don't think that's something that, that you see typically anymore. But I I don't doubt that it was a common practice in, in the the Bible times. Um, you know, oils were highly sought after for their you know medicinal uh, qualities and and. Several health benefits so uh you know i'm sure that was something that they did back then but not not today we don't see that going on but if someone were to you know i wouldn't necessarily forbid someone from anointing me with oil i guess if it smelled okay well uh, uh
1: well brad uh what about you i mean uh, when you're sick uh, let's uh, let's put it in modern terms do you have elders come and uh administer vitamins maybe is that something that you do maybe is that the parallel is that what uh, james is telling us
3: well, if you look at the way oils were used in in that day, uh, it was it was a refreshment. It was it was a treat, as it were. Well, I've been sick before, and people have sent me a gift of some sort. So that was something that was very refreshing, or 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 it it uh, raised my spirits, as it were, because I knew that people were thinking about me and 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 praying for me. But I'll, I'll tell you this: had I had I called the elders of the church where I worship down here in in Alabama and said would you please come and pray over me i I have no doubt that they would have been there as quick as they could have but here's something that i think that we're that we're failing to do when we're considering this verse what what is the meaning of sick
1: i agree with you i think i think he's missing it as well
3: well uh, here's here's the reason i i bring that up he says is is anyone is anyone among you sick i'm reading from the new king james let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise them up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. That, that is an absolute commitment that James has. Yeah. The prayer of faith will save the sick.
1: No so, strings attached.
3: Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, if you look in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about how that Epaphroditus fell ill. He says, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Yeah, I consider it necessary to send to you a my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So the reason I bring that verse up is it looks as if Paul had some doubt. As to whether Epaphroditus might make it through. Well, well if James was saying that physical uh, sickness is what he was considering there, uh, and that the prayer of faith will save the sick, why was Paul so worried?
1: That's true, and Paul himself uh, had a different understanding than that—that that idea that the physical sickness would be uh, healed automatically and guaranteed. In Second Corinthians chapter twelve, where he talks about his thorn in the flesh, verse seven. And then in verse 8, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now we understand uh, from the, going farther in that context that it didn't depart from him. And so Paul th- continued to deal with this physical ailment that he suffered with, whatever that might have been. And so I agree with you, uh, Brad, that if uh, we look at what James is saying, that argument would lend itself to say that James is not talking about the physical sickness there in James chapter 5, verse 14.
3: Exactly.
1: And also we can make an argument from the context. The context is talking about spiritual things. Uh, I go on and talk about confessing faults and so on. And so the, the context of James chapter 5 is uh, a context of spiritual need. And so we would believe that uh, we should ask the elders to come and pray over us. And uh, I would I would argue, since that is a spiritual sickness that is being discussed there, that the anointing of oil uh, that the elders are to do is a, as a, is a figurative Anointing as well, to uh, to help us and assist us in our spiritual needs. And so we should do what James chapter five, verse fourteen says. We think that the author of this website simply misunderstands what James is instructing there in James chapter five of uh, verse fourteen. And uh, Chris in Georgia, uh, along these lines, he says, "I'm really on the fence and if this verse is referring to physical illness or speaking of those that are spiritually weak, if it is a physical illness, then oil was used as a medicine and not for miracles, so it would be referring to a medical treatment coupled with prayers. Additionally, verse 15 say, states it is the prayer that heals and not the oil, so this could indicate these verses are referring to a spiritual illness. So appreciate uh, those. Chris in the United Kingdom last week, uh, we're dealing with those questions we didn't get to last week. He's, uh, he says the sickness is a moral problem, not a physical one. If it is then, But if it uh, is then, it is appropriate, of course, uh, Uh, the appropriate course of help by a medically trained person. And so appreciate Chris for joining in uh, the discussion on that. All right. Well, we've covered a couple of those questions and uh, we're getting close to a break. Let's see if we can't squeeze in one more before our break. Uh, Again, he asked the question, if you're trying to be like the original church and doing what the Bible says, he poses the question, why don't you meet together every day like the early church did? Acts 2.46 says every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts what about that question brad uh he says if you're going to be like the church in the new testament you need to meet every day because they did
3: well i think we have to consider the context here uh as at least a possible explanation this this was just after the day of pentecost so this was still within the uh the time of the feast that they had going on so there would have been a a bunch of jews who had been converted to christianity uh, They're in the area, and they would have been planning to stay there for some amount of time, so they would have been free to meet daily in the temple. But at some point, at some point, people eventually have to go back to their homes, or they have to go back to work. We can look at Second Thessalonians three, how Paul says, if if someone doesn't work, we we shouldn't let him eat. So at some point, people have to return to their lives, uh, and 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 as it were, go back to work, take care of things at the house, that sort of thing, and and so. It doesn't appear when you look at the rest of the New Testament that there was a continuing um, custom of meeting every day.
1: Well, and and uh, it does not. It's, it it doesn't uh, mandate that. I think Anthony, you referred to that in in your email response last week. It doesn't mandate that uh, that daily observe, uh, worship, and we have worship and assemble on every day of the week. There's not a day of the week that uh, you or I, Anthony, haven't met with the church to worship. And so, uh, you know, in that sense, we, we, we have done that, but it's not listed as a mandate that right. you must assemble on every day of the week. Yet it is mandated that we assemble on the first day of the week to fulfill certain commands that have been given.
2: Right. I mean, it, you know, there. if that were the only example or the only passage where we saw Christians meeting together, then we would, you know, have to conclude, well, then we need to you'd follow that same pattern. But we see throughout the rest of the New Testament that, meeting every day was not the you know, the only uh, manner in which they assembled. So it's not an exclusive or binding passage there.
1: And, in fact, in Acts chapter 20, we see that Paul waited to worship with the the Christians on the first day of the week. And so I think we can learn uh, some things there from that instruction, uh, or from that example of Paul, that it, at least it appears, uh, Brad, that by Acts chapter 20, it was not the con- the practice that they were meeting every day of the week.
3: Yeah, I I'd agree. I, I think that's a good observation.
1: All right, we need to take a break, and while we take the break, it would be a good time for you to get your comments together and send them in via the chat room, via email. Better yet, uh, give us a phone call and let us know your thoughts in person. It's toll-free, and the old line is open at 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere.
0: The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues
4: right after these important messages. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're trying to be like a church you read about in the Bible, and we're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return for the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ.
5: Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. With a suggestion for you and your family, why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? A virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible Study group every Thursday night?
0: Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program.
1: And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, this website, uh, chocd.org, where uh, a gentleman in Colorado claims that the Church of Christ is a cult. And he makes some very uh, misleading comments, and, uh, and he also misunderstands where we stand on many issues. And so we're talking about those tonight as we go through his website. Uh, in, uh, he goes on. He says the Church of Christ claims that they have no creed but the Bible. And he adds, which is ironically a creed. But in reality, many in the Church of Christ have a book that they use as a guideline for church doctrine. It is called... Why I Am a Member of the Church of Christ by Leroy Brownlow. Well, what about that, Brad? Is that your creed? And uh, do you have a book uh, that is called Why I Am a Member of the Church of Christ that you use as uh, your creed book?
3: Well, I I've seen that book, but I've never read it. Uh, I, I think perhaps my wife has, so I'll have to ask her what it says. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think the difference in uh, in 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 having well, let, let's just say having this book let's assume that I'd read this book let's assume that I have pointed people to this book as an explanation for some things that perhaps I was having trouble uh, explaining uh, adequately I, that book I suspect still points people back to the Bible yeah. and furthermore the reason that we got away from creeds is because people were using creeds as authoritative. They were not going back to the Bible that those creeds were ostens- uh, ostensibly uh, based on. Well, I don't. I don't need a creed. I don't. I don't need a summary of my beliefs. I can just go to the Bible and I can show you some passages yeah. to tell you what my beliefs are. I don't. I don't have to appeal to a creed. Well, it, nothing we're making.
1: No. No, it'd be no different than if I, if I agreed with this guy. If I read his website and at the end of it I agree with it and and it helped me to better understand God's Word, I wouldn't say that this guy's website is my creed. And so it is a it is a crazy uh claim or uh, to say that that, that, that people yeah. view that as their
2: creed. I, never, I don't think I'd ever really heard of that book. I've certainly never read it. So you know again, I think like we said at the outset, you know these, there's several false assumptions being made here, and I think it's an important lesson for us too. It, we we want to be careful that if we're asserting that a certain group or denomination believes or practices X, y, or z. You know, we need to do our due diligence to make sure that, you know, that we're not just repeating a rumor or repeating something that, you know, that we heard. So, uh, you know, this is a good a good example of, of how not to approach, um, you know, criticizing a, a particular group. But, you know, as far as I think uh, Brad mentioned, uh, you know, even in this book, it would just be it would be based on the Bible. And, and one of our respondents, Ramona, basically said the same thing. She said, I've been a member of the Church of Christ for over 50 years and I've never heard or known of or known that Brownlow's book was our guideline, uh, in quotation. The Bible is our guideline. Brownlow does talk about what it takes to be a member of the Church of Christ, but he's only teaching what's already in the Bible. So. All right. Chris
1: in Atlanta says, I do have a copy of that book, but it is no way used as a Creed book. I've never had this book presented as a Creed book. Uh, not sure where you got this from. It is, very, it is a very helpful book to use when teaching people about the Lord's Church, but this book holds no authority. Our only source of doctrine and authority is the Bible. And uh, Mike in Orleans, Indiana certainly has uh, written us a, a long uh, email tonight, and we will we won't be able to get to all of his comments. Um, and uh, we we I actually have skipped some of his comments on earlier topics that we've been talking about. But he says Leroy Brownlow is one, is but one author of many authors who have written several things. Granted, Mr. Brownlow has one of the best organized sources, and therefore it is has received widespread distribution, but there's a difference between Mr. Brownlow or myself explaining why we are a member of the Church of Christ and a creed book itself. I will speak for myself on this one. I don't claim that we have the corner on the market of truth, nor do we practice everything perfectly. I should hope that if we found ourselves in error, we'd be willing to change. Mr. Brownlow makes a point in his book demonstrating that it is not a creed book at all. On page 45, Mr. Brownlow writes, In the time of the apostles and for the first three centuries, the Bible was the only creed. Why not use the same creed today? If we do not care to have the church manual similar to the one that existed in the first century, I want to have the same one. For this to be possible, I must have the Bible only. In fact, uh, that chapter is the eighth reason Mr. Brownlow offers to explain why he is a member of the Church of Christ. The reason he offers is the title for the chapter, because it has the Bible as his only creed, confession of faith, or church manual. It doesn't sound to me like Mr. Brown was trying to write a creed book at all, but merely explained why he became a member of the Church of Christ and not a denomination. So we appreciate, uh, Mike, uh, for giving us that information and that answer as well. Um, and I think uh, that's about all we've got on that one. We, need, we should go back and uh, quickly, as we said we would in our email, uh, cover uh, answers from last week. We talked about that question, why don't you meet every day, on, every day of the week rather and just certain days of the week. Chris and Georgia says we worship on the first day of the week and take the Lord's Supper together. We can certainly meet together and study or encourage one another more than just on Sunday. In fact, we probably do not spend nearly enough time together as a church family, which may be a reason worldliness and materialism is such a big problem for us. We should always make our church friends our best friends, but I do not see a command in the Bible. that says we must meet on a daily basis. Chris in, uh, in the U.K. says because... Uh they had only just started. It was the only place they could meet as well as from house to house. And we are to break bread too. This may be a reference to sharing of hospitality and or, or fellowship and of prayer, which would, would I would heartily endorse uh for anyone to do uh but not for congregations. Appreciate that uh from Chris. Mike on the question of uh meeting on every day of the week. Um he says uh let's see here. Uh, he says, I'm not certain that meeting daily is a requirement, but the first century Christians seem to be much more communal and active in one another's daily lives than we are today. He references examples of uh, first century Christians being involved with one another on a daily basis. Uh, so he he, uh, he does believe that uh, we should be more involved, and that certainly uh, could be the case. All right, um, any questions on that before we go on? Justin in the chat room Ask: Does the Church of Christ use any bylaws for elders uh, or board of trustees? Any bylaws, Anthony?
2: I'm afraid not. Just uh, as we just got through covering, you know, the, we simply go by what the what the Bible teaches, and um, you know, the, the Bible outlines the qualifications for elders and the type of work that they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be uh, shepherding the flock that's among them and, and looking out for the spiritual well-being of the of the members in that local congregation. So. And certainly, no no bylaws that I'm aware of.
1: Justin, we appreciate that question, and certainly not. Uh, we want to, as uh, as mentioned earlier, we want to have a church like we read about in the Bible. And the only way you can do that, uh, Brad, is if you follow the same instructions that they followed in the New Testament. And the, their only instructions were coming from the apostles and uh, what was recorded for us in in the Word of God. And so if we're going to add any laws or make any laws or bylaws that change the way that we uh, that we operate then we're going to have a different uh, result as a result of uh, following man-made instructions
3: uh, i agree I, the way i was going to answer that is the only bylaws that i'm aware of are in 1st Timothy chapter 3 Titus chapter 1 we have a few details in 1st Peter chapter 5 and Acts chapter 20 uh, i think Anthony hit on on most of those, as he was as he was talking about them, but yeah, that, those are the only bylaws that we abide by, anyway.
1: All right, uh, that is true, and uh, so uh, we would tell, we would answer Justin that no, as uh, John has in the chat room, there are no bylaws for elders, but simply the Bible. That's the only way we can have unity. You know, Brad, if uh, if, if let's say that uh, Brad, you're a member of a church in, in, in Athens, uh, we're a member of a church here in Columbia. There, the only way that we can be uh, doing the same thing is if we're following the same rules. Now, Brad, if you, as a church that you're a member of in, in Athens, if you made bylaws or a constitution uh, or a set of rules that you would follow, there's no way that your rules would be the same as our rules because your rules would be based on your wisdom and your judgment. Our rules would be made on our wisdom and our judgment, and they would be likely uh, uh, differ. The only way that we can be unified is if we'll follow the same set of rules, and ju- Jesus wants his believers to be unified. And so we're going to have to be playing by the same rules and following the same standard. Number to call is eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. Jeff is behind the controls. Jeff, you say that we should use the scriptures as our guide. Right. All right. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Every scripture is inspired by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, okay. and for instruction which is in righteousness. All right. And along those lines, John in uh, Edmund, Oklahoma, says that some may use Brownlow's book as a creed, consulting it for every answer and choosing not to question the book's answer. However, if a person chooses to use it as a study tool to help us better understand God's word, then that is absolutely fine. Appreciate uh, those thoughts uh, from John tonight as well. As we go on uh, with uh, this website, again, the website is chocd.org. This is the Church of Christ occult. He says a number of false claims and explanations are offered about what we teach on baptism. When we only have uh, time and, sp- uh, okay, I'm sorry. He, he goes on and he, he does question what we teach on baptism. He says, Mark 16, verse 16 says, He who believes and is baptized, shall be saved, but he who has, uh, who has disbelieved, shall be condemned. You'll notice that this verse does not say, and he who has not been baptized shall be condemned, which is exactly what the church of Christ would like for you to believe. Jesus is simply making a neutral assumption that all believers will be baptized. I would concur with that assumption. There's absolutely no reason whatsoever that a believer should not get baptized unless there is positively no water available, or in the case of a deathbed conversion. In such cases, the Church of Christ shows absolutely no mercy. They will say that it was the individual's fault for waiting to the last minute. Sorry, bud, but your prayers of repentance are falling on deaf ears because you waited too long and there ain't no pool, river, or baptistry for miles. Tell that to the thief on the cross. He didn't have the opportunity to be water baptized, and yet because he cried out to Jesus for mercy, Jesus promised him that he would be in paradise that very day with him. Now, the standard answer that the Church of Christ member will pop out of his or her pre-programmed gray matter is that you can't use the thief on the cross as an example because Jesus made that promise to the thief while they were both still under the old covenant, which, as we all know, wasn't fulfilled until Jesus died. But you see, the key issue is not when Jesus made the promise to the thief. The key issue is under which covenant did the thief die? We know for a fact that the thief died under the new covenant. How do we know? Because the Gospels tell us that when the soldiers came to break the three uh, crucified victims' legs, they marveled that Jesus was already dead. They didn't marvel at the two thieves because they were still alive. So if the new covenant was ushered in at the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then anyone who died from that point on died under the new covenant, and that would include the thief on the cross. Wow. yeah, that, There are a lot of things to cover there. Maybe we should use that as a lead into our break. What do you think? I We're not, There's too much to dive into there uh, before we need to get our break in, because this will probably take us a long time to get through all of the misconceptions and misrepresentations that are presented here. We want to hear from you during our break. What about that? Do you think the thief on the cross proves that we don't have to be baptized? The phone line is open, and one lucky listener can get online during the break and let us know your thoughts. What do you think about the thief on the cross? Does it prove that we don't have to be baptized? In order to be saved, has he presented us with an argument that we can't answer? Does the thief on the cross prove that all you have to do is ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Let us know your thoughts. 877 Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right
0: after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement.
5: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Those who run businesses and hire employees are always in search of the best people to work for them. In fact, finding good people to fill crucial roles is one of the most difficult aspects of operating a successful enterprise. Typically, there are two different kinds of workers. Some are only looking to draw a paycheck. They quickly analyze the job situation, determine the bare minimum that is required, and then apply themselves to ensure that they do only enough to maintain the job and avoid being fired. The other type of employee really wants to do a good job. His goal is to please the employer and do everything possible to make the business succeed. This kind of person will even sacrifice his own personal interest at times in favor of the good of the company. Such employees as these are the cream of the crop, and they're the ones that every boss hopes to find. In any church, you can identify the same two types of workers. Unfortunately, there are those who want to find the minimum amount of work that is necessary. They want to be regarded as in good standing, but they really don't desire to do any more than is absolutely required. A common question of such folks is this. Where does the Bible say I have to? They apply these questions to things like Sunday night worship or Wednesday night Bible class. During gospel meetings, you need not expect them to be present because they don't see where the Bible says they have to. Teach a Bible class, visit a sick person, invite a neighbor, encourage a weak member, show where the Bible says this is absolutely necessary, and they might consider doing it. Otherwise, No way. The other type of worker is faithful in all things. In fact, this type of member is not interested in doing the minimum. Such folks want to do all they can to help in the important work of the church. Need a volunteer? Looking for assistance regardless of the job? Look to these people, for they constitute the working core of the congregation. They can be counted on in all situations, even when it involves sacrifice. Without them, the congregation would fail. God bless this sort of member. Which kind of worker are you? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm
4: Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study.
0: A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about uh, this website that claims the Church of
1: Christ is a cult. I'm talking with Anthony Petrochko, who's to my right, and uh, Brad Collins over Skype tonight, and we're talking with you as well at 877-381-4567 as we look at the the claims that he makes that the thief on the cross Brad proves that you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved your initial thoughts uh, about his arguments?
3: well I'm, I'm with you there are so many things here it's it's hard to know where to start but I guess I'll start where he starts he attempts to refute it by saying you notice that the verse does not say and he who has not been baptized shall be condemned well Again, uh, th- this is something that th- I know you've answered a number of times. I've answered it a number of times. But uh, who, who reading this doesn't see the and in the first part uh, of that uh, of that sentence? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh-huh. If, if I go down here to Best Buy and let's say I buy a nice new monitor for my computer for $300, the guy at the checkout counter says, you know, if you fill out this rebate form and send in a copy of your receipt, then they'll give you a $50 rebate. Well, who among us thinks that if we fill out that form and leave it sitting on our desk at the house that we're going to get that $50? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not even necessary to, to address the baptism issue because, at least generally speaking, nobody's going to be baptized who does not believe.
1: No, and, and the, the guy at the store could easily say, if you don't fill out the form and send it in, you're not going to get the rebate.
3: Exactly. Or, yeah. or he could say, if you don't fill out the form, you won't get the yeah. yeah. It, it it's just it i it just is is it, always been I mean I hate to characterize it this way. I don't, don't want to be uncharitable It's it, it's always been a uh, a silly just a grasping at straws argument for me.
1: I think so as well and uh, we wouldn't and we wouldn't apply the same logic to anything else as your argument Brad uh, we would understand it in our everyday life why not in scriptural things as well. Anthony your thoughts for just uh, off the surface here right.
2: I think you know grammatically it just doesn't hold up this argument that well it doesn't say you know, he he got baptism in the first part of the phrase, but then it, then he doesn't mention it again. So therefore, it's not required. I mean, just grammatically, it doesn't hold up.
1: Hey, and if it was the only verse that we had that talked about baptism, maybe you might have an argument. I mean, I I don't think you would, but it, you you might have a better chance. But there's so many other verses we could pile onto this one, Brad, that show that baptism is required in order to be saved. That it just doesn't make any sense to just uh, stake your claim here and make such a foolish argument because we've got so many others in the in the Bible we can go to that make the same point.
3: Absolutely, I will tell you, my favorite is Acts 22:16, when Paul is recounting his conversion. Ananias tells him, "And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord." It you just cannot separate the washing of sins uh, from baptism in that in that verse. It, there's just no way to do it, and I don't think anybody who's being at all honest will say that any any believer, any Christian. Is still in his sins. If you if you are still in your sins, that means that you are not a Christian.
1: That's exactly right. First Peter chapter three, verse twenty-one. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Baptism saves us. That's what it says. That's what the scriptures say. And to say otherwise is to argue with what the scriptures have revealed to us. Acts two, verse thirty-eight, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Again, it is linked with the remission of sins and with salvation. And uh, this argument that uh, mark sixteen verse sixteen doesn't say the same thing simply does not harmonize with what the scriptures teach. Chris in Atlanta says he is mistaken. How could have a how could we have a new covenant if Jesus had not been resurrected? besides the church began at Pentecost initially, how does he handle all the verses that teach plainly baptism for salvation mark 16, 16, 1 peter three twenty one acts two verse thirty eight and so what about this idea, Anthony, that uh, Jesus uh, gave uh, forgave this man's sins under the New Covenant, and therefore it proves to us that uh, we don't have to be baptized because the thief didn't have to be baptized?
2: Right. I, I'd never heard this sort of spin on the thief on the cross. I, You know, I had kind of had to read through it a couple of times to see what he was trying to say, but I guess he's trying to say that, well, you know, when Jesus died, the New Covenant began, and the thief died after Jesus, which I think, you know, that seems logical and correct based on the scripture to me, as I read it i I may be wrong on that but but i I would agree that the thief died after Jesus, but it doesn't matter when the thief died. It matters if you're going to make this argument. it matters when Jesus told him that his you know sins would be forgiven, which was while he was still alive but you know none of none of that matters because even aside from the whole covenant issue, Jesus the Son of God had power on earth to forgive sins. This is not the only time that Jesus told someone that their sins were forgiven. Yeah, there were multiple other occasions where where Jesus forgave someone of their sins and they were not that we know of baptized. Yeah. So um, you know Jesus is you know God in the flesh. He has the power to forgive sins. To me, that that puts this whole argument to rest.
1: Oh, that's true, and he's told us. What we need to do in order to be saved, to have a permission of our sins, have our sins forgiven. It's Mark 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, are you going to do that or are you not? Or are you going to do what Justin suggests? He says, why chance it? Why not uh, do what Jesus said? Right. Why argue with Jesus? Just do it.
2: Right. And I mean, exactly. We, we have clear passages that, that tell us that we need to be baptized. So it really doesn't matter what the thief on the cross, what happened to him.
1: All right. And uh, the chat room tonight. John in Oklahoma says, regarding the thief on the cross, we cannot be saved like the thief. Why? According to Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, one has to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. The thief could not have believed Jesus was raised from the dead since Jesus was still living. Your thoughts on that, Brad? Uh, well, I, I'm sorry. I was I – Oh, boy, you were asleep. Plans. Multitasking. Oh, we caught you. We caught you. Well, I agree with John's argument, and I would also point to Romans chapter 6 where baptism is presented as a symbol, a symbolic death, burial, and resurrection along the same lines of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verse uh, 3, Know you not that as many of us were, as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life.
2: And to me, I, you know, I was going to, I thought about going there earlier, too. If you've already been saved, like so many will say, and that baptism is just sort of, uh, you know, just showing that you're already saved, then that whole imagery falls apart because you can't, you wouldn't be raised to walk in newness of life. You've already started your new life yeah. if you were already saved. Right. So there's no need for you to be baptized. It just doesn't work.
1: Right, right. So, All right. uh, uh, Justin says, if Jesus is walking around on earth, he can grant salvation to anyone he chooses. I believe uh, the Bible commands baptism. The Greek word baptismo means to immerse. The great commandment uh, says uh, to as well. John in Oklahoma follows up. He says, also considers Paul's words in Colossians 2 verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who has raised him from the dead. Take notice that we But the raising through faith is listed after being baptized with him. How could we be saved by faith alone when we are raised through faith after baptism? Good point, uh, John. Appreciate that. Uh, John uh, makes the argument here about uh, this man making the distinction between when the New Testament came into effect, at the cross or at some point later. He says, uh, while Hebrews says the covenant took effect after the death of the testator, it wasn't until he ascended into heaven that Jesus was reigning over his kingdom. His church began 10 days after his ascension. And so there is, there is some somewhat of a gray area there, Brad, as to when uh, the Testament would have taken effect uh, as far as when people would uh, need to do what Jesus has said. Um, your thoughts on that,
3: Brad? Well, let, let's think about when was the command for them to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, when was that command given?
1: Yeah, it would have been given the ten days after his resurrection.
3: Exactly. Exactly. Or uh, or, or, or or six weeks or, or whatever it was. But yeah, for for some time after the death. So I, I don't think that we can make the case that it that at the very moment that Jesus breathed his last, I, suddenly we were under the new covenant.
1: All right. Agree. Yep. Let us know your thoughts. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Let's see here. Uh, we have uh, we have. Um, Mike, in Orleans, Indiana, um, Mark 16, verse 16, describes two persons, a saved person and a lost person. The saved person has, one, believed, and two, been baptized. The lost person has obviously done neither. How many nonbelievers have you asked asking you to baptize them in the name of Christ? The lost person never came to the point of submitting to Christ's will to be baptized because they never believed in the first place. Consider the same type of parallels. He who eats and digests will receive nourishment. He who does not eat will not be nourished. Using the same logic above, we could expect someone who did not digest their food to still be. Uh, could we expect someone who did not digest their food to still be nourished? If not, why would we expect one not to be baptized who is not baptized to be saved? For this example, he who gets into the tub and washes will get clean. He who is who does not get into the tub will not get clean. Using the same logic again, if one merely got into a tub but did not wash, would they expect to get clean? If not, why would we expect one not baptized to be saved? And he uh, also offers this, uh, uh, the uh, uh, argument, an answer to the argument that the gentleman says, Jesus is simply making a natural assumption that all believers will be baptized. He says he disagrees. He is commanding that all believers get baptized. Keeping that in mind, Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. The problem is that some people cannot seem to see that's what First John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Whosoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. I can claim to be Christ, but if I won't submit to his will, then I haven't treated him as my Lord. I haven't submitted to his will. Part of his will includes being baptized. If I refuse, I am in sin, and sinners get sent to hell. Brad?
3: I'd like to comment on one of the statements he, he makes um shortly after beginning his uh his uh, examination of mark chapter 16 verse 16 he says uh, jesus is simply making a natural assumption that all believers will be baptized i, I like what uh what the email that you just read said he- he's well he's making a statement but it's essentially a statement of doctrine. It-, it-, it is effectively a command this is how it's going to be if you're going to be saved but can we consider this? Did, did Jesus make assumptions about anything? I mean, if I'm assuming something, that means… I don't know. You know yeah, it means I don't know. It means, I'm well, I'm going to operate as if this is the case, but I don't actually know how yeah. it's going to turn no, out. No, I don't have a clue. I mean, that's an awfully, I mean, borderline blasphemous thing to say about Jesus, that he was making an assumption.
2: All
1: right. I agree with that, Brad, and I uh, uh, think that he's making a very dangerous claim. We've got some more things to talk about we want to talk about musical instruments. He has an argument that he thinks uh, proves that we can use musical instruments, and we'll talk about that. And then once look at we want to look at his final argument: is the Church of Christ a cult? He says we're dangerously close if we're not there already. And so,
2: uh, very interesting stuff.
1: Interesting. We'll, we'll see what we have to say. All right, we'll go. We'll go to the top of the hour with your comments after this. Don't go anywhere.
0: We're back after these important messages. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be
4: back right after this. Do you remember when you went to church and heard sermons that clearly set forth the New Testament plan of salvation? Can you recall when churches rang out with lessons that plainly exposed false teachers and false doctrines? Can you think back to a time when preachers and members of the church were set for the defense of the gospel of Philippians 1.17? If you are craving to find a congregation that is like the church you can remember from years ago, like the church back in the first century, please visit with us soon. We're trying hard to be a church just like the church you remember, like the one you read about in the Bible. Come and see. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m.
5: us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the Virtual Bible Study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study.
0: Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the Virtual Bible Study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Welcome
1: back to the program. I remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And we'll also remind you, you can podcast a recent sermon that was presented here at the church. If you would like to, you can find that information at our website as well. The next argument he makes about instrumental music, Anthony, well, it's full, full of hate. But uh, as a, as Bob in Indiana in an email, he just uh, wrote a very short email that uh, said that he thought this guy was a hater.
2: Yeah, uh, that, that was uh, very apropos for today's vernacular. Yes, it is. But now,
1: uh, besides that, it's just he makes some pretty uh, outrageous arguments, and he answers the argument that he's he, he, he the answer is revealed in, in the argument he's making. It uh, is very clear. Their main reason for outlawing musical instruments in the church service is because they say that it is not mentioned in the Bible. You remember their slogan is, we speak where the Bible speaks, and we're silent where the Bible is silent. Brad, I guess that's a terrible idea and a, a terrible uh, goal to have, is that you're only going to say what the Bible says and only do what the Bible says.
3: Yeah.
1: It's criminal. I imagine,
3: yeah, well, I imagine that if this guy could talk to uh, uh, Nadab and Bayhu and Uzzah, uh, a few other characters we could name, well, even David for that matter. He, they they might they might advise him to follow the same kind of.
1: Well, I'm afraid if if he was living to the same time as those gentlemen, he may not be around to uh, to make a website uh, uh, with his approach to God's uh, commands. But uh, he he says, uh, unfortunately for them, ignorance is not bliss; it's just plain folly. Unbeknownst to them, the Bible verily. Barely- very clearly does give us permission to have musical instruments in our worship to god whether it's in a corporate worship service or in the privacy of our own home car or wherever the spirit might lead ephesians 5 verse 19 says speaking to one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs and correspondingly uh, colossians 3 verse 16 says to admonish one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs so paul makes it clear that we are to sing psalms but which psalms obviously he's referring to the psalms of david and many of the psalms say to worship God with musical instruments, such as Psalm 150. Also, many of the psalms were directed by David to be accompanied by musical instruments, such as a harp or lyre. We also see that the worship of God in heaven will also include musical instruments, as found in Revelation 15, verse 2. They held harps given to them by God. But let's dig a little deeper into the actual definition of the word psalm. The root word of the psalm is solo, which means to twitch, twang, or pluck, such as pluck a string or of a musical instrument. A psalm was normally accompanied with a musical instrument. Well, your answer to that argument, Anthony.
2: Uh, the, yeah, this is not you know, similar to the other question or, or issue we were uh, talking about where it's kind of hard to know where to start. But, um, you know, again, this idea that I think the the thing that I found maybe the most Sort of uh, alarming was the, the statement where he says, uh, so Paul makes it clear that we are to sing psalms, but which psalms? Obviously he's referring to the psalms of David. Well, I don't buy that at all. Well, I mean, was David the only person who wrote psalms? I mean, the book is called psalms, but psalm is a generic term that yes. just means you know, a, a spiritual song. Uh, well, we
1: could sing the psalms of David. We sure could. But in his very argument, he admits that it says to sing the psalms. That's the instruction, Brad. The bra- that it is not to sing and play the songs, but it's to sing the psalms.
3: Yeah, you, you had a program what a few months ago, I guess. Not radio. very long ago. Yeah, yeah. De- de- debating uh, this very topic, and I think you dealt effectively with it. And but and the, the point is, the verse still says sing. And by the way, I've got a number of translations sitting here in front of me, uh, courtesy of uh, BlueLetterBible.org, and even the ones that I would never, ever sight because they're paraphrases they're not translations even they all say sing not a single one of them well that's english anyway not a single one of them translates that word solo as anything other than sing Uh, you just can't get away from it
1: right that's true and uh, if i want to be sure that god is pleased with my worship which after all that's the goal of my worship is to please god then I'm going to do what he said he wanted in his in worship of him in this era that we live in today, and that is he told me to sing, and that's what I'm going to do. In
2: exactly, I mean, and this whole argument that well, solo I- inherent in the definition of solo is the idea that you've got to accompany it with a stringed instrument. But if you, in one of our respondents, uh, let me see who this is. Uh, this is Chris. He, he says. Uh, again, he misuses scripture. He said Ephesians said to sing psalms, but he chops off the end of that verse that yep. says the melody is in the heart, not on the piano or some other instrument. So uh, it seems very obvious to me where he says you're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's the strings of our heart. You know, we even have that phrase today. You know, well, that really pulled at my heartstrings. You know, but that aside, the the plucking or the, the melody, the accompaniment is an inward one of the heart. I, see, I mean, I just, I, I can't, I don't I don't buy into this argument about the word solo.
1: All right, and uh, Mike in Orleans uh, says, Who outlawed them? God or members of the Church of Christ. If you can't find them in the New Testament, then you have no authority for them. And he says, So Paul makes it clear we are to sing psalms, which psalms? Uh, that's the, the guy's quote. He says, Some believe what they see. Others see what they believe. The answer is directly within his own quote. Paul makes It's clear we are to sing psalms, and so Paul did not say to play them, did he? We can sing Psalm 150, but not play it. I think, uh, I should think it it needs to be sung with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15. They were not; they were authorized under the covenant, but not not under the new law.
2: Right, and you know the argument that the blogger makes, you know, saying, well, you know, those songs were meant to be accompanied, but we don't have the music, so, you know, how are we gonna? He he's sort of saying, well, if we're going to sing songs, we've got to sing the songs from the Book of Psalms, and we've got to accompany them with musical instruments like they were, but well, we don't, we can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't even really hold water.
1: All right. Quickly, at the end of his uh, at the end of his website, uh, again, it is chocd.org, He says he asked the question, Are they a cult? Years ago, the Lord gave us an acronym for cults. And it's I don't I don't know where where the Lord gave us this that that, that really me,
2: gave me pause. But the Lord gave us bit. this
1: acronym. I, yes. He did. He did. And uh, it, the C in cult stands for claim to be the only true Christians. U unorthodox extra biblical revelation. L lying leaders. T V way salvation is only found in their organization. And S is salvation by works. It's interesting, Brad. I've never seen that definition of a cult. Or an acronym for defining what a cult is. Never seen it in my Bible, but I don't know if I've ever seen it anywhere else. Uh, he goes on and says you can only you can see the only area that the Church of Christ doesn't qualify for that for the title of cult is that they don't have an any unorthodox ex, extra biblical revelation that they would put on par with God's word. But they do claim to be the only true Christians, lie about their history by claiming they can trace their roots. The Day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts, which we showed last week, that we do not. They also mislead people about some of their doctrines by not telling prospective members what they really believe up front. And that is that they would believe Billy Graham is not a true Christian. Well, we would believe that if he doesn't submit to what God has said. And Jesus, how can you claim to be a follower of Christ if you don't do what Christ said to do? That is a contradiction of terms. Number three, that they are the only one and uh, that they are the one and only. True body of Christ. No one goes to the Father outside of their denomination, and for their salvation occurs the moment they do their part and get baptized. And you must recognize that it is the baptism remits your sins, or it is of no effect. So are they a cult? No, they are. No, they are as close as you can get to the edge of that perilous pit without falling in. Based on the Word of God, I would say an emphatic yes. So are they or not? He says yeah, it both it's ways. A little tricky there.
0: <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, let's let's put it this way. I think you guys mentioned it last week. Uh, whenever you put the title of your website as "Is the Church of Christ denomination occult?", you're 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 pretty well casting that. Uh, the, you're pretty well painting with a broad brush there and giving people the the impression, or at least prejudicing their uh, their impression before you go and say, "Well, I guess not altogether, but but basically."
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, it sort of it's, it's it is very misleading at at at, the, at best. Uh, my uh, Chris in Atlanta says the Lord gave him that acronym. I really don't see how, uh, how, since God speaks through his completed word, the Bible. As for his accusations, here are some brief responses. We claim that the only true Christians are those who obeyed the Bible, what the Bible teaches about salvation, and uh, uh, remain faithful. Uh, we're, not, uh, we're not defining who is the true follower of, of God and Christ, Anthony. We're letting the Bible do that. Uh, we believe that those who follow the instructions that God has given uh will be saved. Uh, he that believes is baptized for one. And uh, Jesus said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I said? Right. Uh, so uh, he, Jesus expects us to be obedient to him. Uh, number two, as we said last week, we do not claim to trace an unbroken lineage back to the first century. The Catholics do that. We simply conduct, strive to conduct ourselves like the Christians did, who we read about in the Bible. Again, we'll reference you to last week's program for the answer to that. But we appreciate that, Chris. That is uh, what we said last week, and we agree. Number three. It is the the God that adds us to the body. There is only one body, and only members of that body will be saved. There is only one body, Anthony. That's right. very clear from scriptures. There's one church, right? One Jesus body. said he would build his church, singular. That's right. He is the head of the body. Uh, Brad, there's only one, if we believe what Jesus said.
3: Right. I, I don't know if it's worth getting into this distinction, but I think there's a there's a there's a misunderstanding that a lot of people have out there that. The church, the universal church, is made up of local churches, yeah. and and that's not true. Yeah. The church, universal, is made up of Christians, individual Christians. Now, individual Christians in certain locales get together into smaller groups for the purpose of encouragement and study. Uh, but but this guy almost seems to be buying into this idea, or at least he's he's presenting he's presenting it as if we are are. Uh, arguing that uh, if you're not a member of our church, which is part of the, the the large church, then then you can't you can't be saved, and that that's not what we're arguing.
1: All right, and on verse on to number four, Chris says uh, we do not teach salvation by works. If that is what he means, he probably teaches that accepting Jesus by a prayer is the way of salvation. Guess what? I could claim the requirement of having to ask Jesus into your heart by prayer is a work. We know this is uh, ludicrous, just like his claim is. I do not want to judge him, but it sounds like he may not be te- may not like a teaching or two from the Bible, so he is trying to use any justification he can to escape his duty to God. Appreciate your comments, Chris. And quickly, Mike in Orleans uh, says uh, that um, uh, that. Um, That uh, that about lying about history, some have mistakenly done so, but they taught in error. The universal church began in the first century. It was revealed to the people on the day of Pentecost, uh, 33 AD. No congregation today is a continuation of that local congregation that began that day. But any Christian who follows the Bible pattern becomes part of the Lord's church, universal, which was revealed on that day. They mislead some people about their doctrines, uh, not telling prospective members what they really believe up front. I didn't realize I had to begin my Bible studies with the revelation that I did not believe Billy Graham is a Christian. I thought one had to confess Christ, Matthew ten verse thirty-two, not Billy Graham. And uh, they are—they believe that they're the one and only true body of Christ. No, we are not a denomination. There is only one body of Christ, and no one goes to the Father. Who is not a part of it? Jesus said he would build his church, singular. Matthew 16:18. As you referenced, Anthony, there is only one. There, those not a part of the body, the church that he purchased with his blood, will be lost. And number five, he says, are we wrong for saying you must recognize that baptism is, uh, that it is baptism that remits your sins, or it is of no effect? Baptism literally means to immerse. As a child, we spent many days at the local swimming pool. Sometimes my buddies and I would dunk one another or shove one another into the water. I would. I have therefore been immersed many times. I wonder if the fellow writing the article who believes that there is absolutely no reason whatsoever that a believer should not get baptized. What if I were not a Christian and came to his congregation? I became a believer, and they told me I needed to get baptized immersed. What if I responded by telling them of all the times I had been immersed while swimming? Would they accept that? Of course not. Why? I was not being baptized for the right reasons or with the proper understanding. It would need to be
2: done again.
1: So there you go.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, um, yeah, I, I I think there's lots and lots of misrepresentation, you know, in this last point about the with the with the acronym there, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about the whole idea of claiming to be the only true Christians or that salvation is only found in their organization. And I think I hope that we all recognize that you know a Christian is someone who obeys Christ, and it doesn't matter. I mean, if you follow what the Bible says and you've been obedient to God's will, you know the the sign on the building doesn't, you know. As we've said, we're not a denomination, so we're not out there saying if you, you know, if if the build the sign in front of your building doesn't say Church of Christ, then you're out. And that's not what we're saying. We're
1: saying that you will, if you're going to be saved, you're going to be right relationship with God. You're going to do what God says. Right and uh, and that if we if, if you worship someplace that's doing what God says they will be doing exactly the same things that uh, other people who make the same claim and do the same thing the Bible says will be doing
2: right right you
1: know, and so uh, everyone everyone Brad draws a line somewhere there everyone says you if you do this uh, or you don't do this then you're not going to be saved everybody draws a line somewhere and uh, why not draw the line where the Bible draws the line
3: that that's exactly the way I feel about it
1: all right. Well, good point. We've had a good discussion. The time has gone fast. Uh, Brad, thanks for joining us from Athens tonight.
3: Thank you. So glad you had
1: me. Uh, appreciated your comments and your discussion, and uh, it was a good call, a good discussion tonight. Now, Anthony, thank you for your time.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a, a very you know very interesting study, and uh, hopefully some of our listeners maybe maybe they learned some things about the the Church of Christ, the church that Christ died for. Maybe they learned some things that, that they didn't know prior to tonight's study. So that that's our hope.
1: And uh, if you have any questions about what we believe or what we practice, let us know your thoughts. Uh, send us a call, uh, email, or give us a call anytime. With your questions or comments about what we might believe or practice, or something you may have heard on a previous edition of the virtual Bible study. Jeff, thank you for manning the controls tonight. We missed some of your comments that uh, you wanted to throw in, but we appreciate you for being here and helping us out. And and uh, thank you. Uh, for being on the other end of the line as well tonight. We hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.